And here we are, Wednesday nights, back in the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 31. If you need a Bible, just uh, hold up your hand and I can have Bibles handed out to you right now. We can turn on the lights in here. And uh, if you need a Bible, hold up your hand and then Randy's going to bring you a Bible. Anybody need one? You're all good? All right. Genesis chapter 31, picking it up here. In uh, really been focusing lately here on the life of Jacob, it's like the adventures of Huckleberry Finn, only if Huckleberry Finn had married multiple wives, I guess, maybe it would be more accurate, but um, anyways, so we've been looking at Jacob now over in Haran, where he's been serving his father-in-law Laban for 20 years now, seven years for Leah, which he thought he was getting Rachel, but Laban did the old switcheroo. Another seven years then for Rachel, the wife that he desired. And then six years tending to the flocks now. So 20 years he has been serving uh, Laban up in Haran. There's a bit of an idea where Jacob was there in Israel, leaving from, um, oh, leaving from Beersheba, I believe it was, and then um, heading up to Haran, Padan Aran, uh, Aram up north to the east, and then uh, we'll see him today getting back down into Israel. But picking up here um, in chapter 31, here's what we read. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. Love that. So here's Jacob now beginning to get uh, a word from the Lord. It's time to come back to your home now. Time to come back to the land of your fathers there in Canaan. Uh, soon to be known as Israel. But notice what we see there. Verse Laban's sons are getting a little bit jealous. They're getting a little bit upset that Jacob is doing so well. Remember, uh, even with Jacob tending the flocks of Laban, Laban you know, said, you can have all the speckled or streaked or spotted uh, you know, lambs and flocks. And it was the solid colored ones that were you know, typically more valued and more cherished. And so Laban's thinking, you're going to get all the rejects. But all these, and, and thinking that there wouldn't be many of them. But again, the flocks were just producing like crazy for Jacob. And he's receiving all these spotted and, and street flocks. And, and things are just growing. He's profiting. He's prospering. And, and he's been doing so because God's just been blessing him. God's been leading. And we'll see in this chapter how God was, you know, revealing to Jacob some of these things that he'd be doing for him. But what's happening now is Laban's family, his sons are seeing Jacob prospering and profiting. And they're getting jealous, they're getting upset. They're like, man, he's, he's taking away all of, our, all of our assets, maybe all of our inheritance. This isn't good. And they're getting jealous and they're covening. But notice they're, they're distorting the truth in that. They're making out like Jacob has been scheming and stealing away all that was Laban's. But Jacob has done no wrong. It's, it's very true that Jacob has acquired much wealth from Laban, but it's been done through mutually agreed upon terms, and God has simply allowed Jacob to prosper. You know, it, it's interesting because we can oftentimes be like the brothers where we're looking at 
other things or other people and, and the ways that they're maybe prospering or profiting. And we can easily begin to get very jealous, maybe even covet. And we begin to get our eyes fixed on those things and begin to have that kind of attitude of coveting. And the truth just begins to get distorted uh, as to seeing you know, reality correctly. And these brothers are allowing their jealousy and covetousness to distort the truth. And, and it's so easy for us to happen when you know, we allow these things to creep in. We begin to see lines get blurred and we don't see the situation in full honesty. Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. And it's so true. When we begin to be envious, covetousness, man, it, it begins to really pollute us and hurt us. And it's really just, you know, rottenness to the bones, as it says so accurately there in Proverbs. So these are things that are going on. But, but God begins to use this situation now, ultimately to lead Jacob out of Haran. And I love the gracious promises of the Lord. Notice what he said there in verse 3, and I will be with you. If you love to mark your Bibles and underline things, make sure you, you underline that. I love that promise there. And, and we know that when the Lord is with us, we can move forward in confidence, strength, and boldness. And this is a promise that's repeated oftentimes in Scripture, isn't it? Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you be strong and a good courage? Do not be afraid. Nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And in Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. That ties into what we just talked about in verse 1 there. But be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so Jacob is getting this promise now. He's getting this, this kind of push from the Lord. Listen, it's time to go back to your land of your fathers, and I'm going to be with you. And it's a promise that we can hold to ourselves knowing that when we walk in the ways of the Lord, God is going to be with us. Jacob might have thought, man, returning back home, I don't know about that. Man, I, I made some enemies back there. I don't know how it's going to work. He's, he's making enemies now here in Iran too. And, and, and so he's kind of getting pushed out of this. But we can confidently trust the Lord when he's leading us and moving us on into things that he has for us. We can confidently trust him and go, Lord, I know you're going to be with me. And if you are with me, what then do I have to fear. So look at verse 4. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I've served your father, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. Then if he said thus, the streak shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streak. That's what we're talking about. Laban was trying to kind of dupe him a little bit, but God was like, I'm going to bless you in, in spite of all this. Look at verse 9. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Verse 11, then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. I'm the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not... 
considered strangers by him, for he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. It's interesting how God brought Jacob to a man like Laban. And, and he did so in order for a man like Jacob to be used, in order for a man like Jacob to be used of God, well, he would need to be emptied of the things that would hinder him from being used of God. Remember, Jacob, his very name means supplanter or deceiver, yet it's to a deceiver that God brings him to, right? I mean, we see there in verse 7 that we read that Jacob says, your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times, right? I mean, that's the, the, what's the saying? The pot calling the kettle black. Did I get that right? Okay, I like to mix those kinds of sayings sometimes and say something completely wrong. But, um, but that's the idea here is that Jacob comes to Laban and it's like Jacob is getting a taste of his own medicine here. He's seeing a man that's a deceiver, but it's kind of exposing to Jacob what he was like. Laban was like a mirror to Jacob. Jacob began to see the wrong in Laban, so as to expose it in himself too. God allowed Jacob to go through these things so that Jacob could learn to trust in God. And Jacob is beginning to see now how God is indeed sufficient. God's the one's provided for him. God, you know, when we went through chapter 30 um, in the summertime before we took our break. I mean, we we're looking at how Jacob was doing all these things. We we're thinking, man, where's Jacob coming up with this wisdom in order to produce the livestock in that way? But God was the one revealing this to him in a dream, showing himself, providing for Jacob. God's the one's provided for him. And, and Jacob now is beginning to talk like a man of faith now and he shares with his family how God has been with me, he says in verse 5, and that God did not allow Laban to hurt me there in verse 7. Jacob is revealing that this is not because of me. This is all God here. God's been with me. God's protected me. And as he shares with his family, notice this, his own wives now are, are coming along here and, and realizing the treacherous ways that Laban has been dealing with them all. These two sisters who've been Feuding and fighting can finally come together in agreement over something. And it's that their loyalty to the God of Jacob must supersede their loyalty to their father. Now, now that they've realized this, they too are ready to move on to what God has for them. They're realizing like, man, he's, he's taking away these things from us. They were given a, a dowry, kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a prepaid alimony in case anything happened in the marriage. Well, they say, our father's used that all up. It's not going to go towards our, our family in any, in any way. He's dealt treacherously with them. And so now they're coming together and seeing these things for what they are. But what's interesting is that throughout this account that we see here, just in these first few verses, we see a, a, a number of good principles in helping us to determine God's will or his guidance in our lives. First of all, Jacob had a desire. Going back to chapter 30, verse 25, he began to have his heart stirred to return back to the land. It says in verse 25, And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I'm, I may go to my own place and to my country. Jacob's heart began to stir for his own country and to return back. So Jacob had a desire. Secondly, we see circumstances began to change. 
And circumstances often begin to change that will get us moving in a direction that we would not have otherwise moved in. So Jacob's beginning to get a little bit uncomfortable. It's like an eagle that builds a nest with these sticks kind of poking inwards for the young so that they don't get comfortable. As they begin to grow, these sticks begin to kind of poke at them and it causes the eagles to begin to kind of go, man, I gotta, I gotta move out of this nest. I gotta begin to fly. And they may take a leap at first, but what does that mother eagle do? It gets down and sometimes it has to bear the young upon the wings of an eagle where we get that scripture metaphor and idea. Eagle's taking care, but it's doing things to kind of provoke those eagles to to get moving, to get moving on. And sometimes God allows those things to begin to, you know, poke at us in different circumstances to change, to get us to move in directions that we wouldn't otherwise move in. It's not to say that every bad circumstance is a time to run. Sometimes there are times to bear up under them and persevere through them. But begin to see how God is leading and moving. Thirdly, we see in this passage that God's word was clearly revealed to them. There in chapter 31, verse three, we've, we already saw it. And I will be with you, God says. Return to, your, to the land of your fathers and your family. I'll be with you. Repeats again in verse 13. And so we see here that this is always the key for us, is what does God's word say? Am I moving in a direction that contradicts God's word? You know, I've heard some people say, well, we just believe that this is the will of God. And it completely goes against God's word. And you sit there and go, how can you think that this is God's will for you when it's, when it's completely contrary to God's word? Well, I just have a real peace about it. I just feel it. I'm like, no, no, that's not the peace of God. It's a peace of something else. I don't know what it is, but it's not from God if it contradicts God's word. God's word is always going to be that, that real determining, confirming factor for us here. And when his word is given clearly, guess what? We must act upon it, knowing that there will not be a better alternative for us. And lastly, Jacob had confirming support from others. We see that both Rachel and Leah saw that this was of the Lord and it was to be acted on now. It's, it's not to say that we always listen to others as the final authority, but I'm grateful for the times God has been nudging me in a certain way and have others come alongside and just confirm that in my life. Proverbs 11:14 14 says, where there's no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I'm thankful for the multitude of counselors we have even within this church here to you know, lead us along, but the goal is always to hear from God, to line things up with the word of God. So also note, notice there in verse 11, we kind of skipped over it, but it says there in verse 11, then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And then in verse 13, he says, I'm the God of Bethel. This angel of the Lord is revealing himself to be deity, making him more than an angel. This is the angel of the Lord, capital A, that we see oftentimes in Scripture, which is the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Anytime that somebody's had this encounter with God in an in a almost physical way, as we'll even see later in our study tonight here, this is a reference to that pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that throughout Genesis 
already the angel of the Lord or the angel of God shows up and reveals himself to people, instructs them. And this is who Jacob is receiving from here in this passage. Continuing on, verse 17 of chapter 31. Then Jacob rose and his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now, Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. Now it's interesting, the wording that Moses is using in retelling these events. Because he says, Rachel had stolen the household idols, in verse 19, but then also Jacob stole away unknown to Laban there in verse 20. Use these same terms, stolen and stolen. There, there's a little, still a little of the old self in Jacob. And interestingly, it seems in Rachel as well. And what we're going to see how God is going to be dealing with Jacob through uh, our study tonight in seeking to weed out all that old self, that old character of Jacob. Now, Jacob could have left very confidently and assuredly because remember, God's already told him, go to the land of your fathers and I will be with you. Verse three, I'll be with you. Jacob could have left very confidently and assuredly because God's already given him the green light to go and assured him that he's gonna be with them. But Jacob is again reverting a bit to his old ways. And in so doing, he's failing to trust in the Lord and failing to be a right witness of the Lord. See, when our flesh gets in the way as it is with Jacob here, thinking, okay, we gotta sneak out of here. We gotta, we gotta go and not tell Laban anything here. We gotta make sure we're being very crafty, scheming along. This isn't what Jacob needed to do. But you see, when our flesh gets in the way and we walk by sight more than faith, we're not gonna represent the Lord as we should. Jacob certainly isn't doing so. But as we'll see tonight, God's not gonna be done with Jacob yet. And I'm thankful that God is not done with me or you either. He's continuing to work in us and may we allow him to do that work in us. Well, look at verse 22 as we see now this encounter with Laban coming for Jacob. Verse 22, and Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days journey. So Jacob got quite a bit of a head start, but Laban, man, he pursued him. And it says he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. Verse 24, but God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken, um, taken with a sword? Verse 27, why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. And you did not allow me, me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you've done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob, 
like I said, got a good three days distance before Laban knew that, he had, that they had all left. And it took Laban seven days to catch up. Seven days is a pretty good amount of time to let cooler heads prevail. Apparently, it might not have been enough for Laban as God has to come and speak to him in a dream to warn him to go easy on Jacob here. And again, don't you love how God takes care of us in ways that we oftentimes don't know? Here's Laban on his way. Jacob's free, but little does Jacob realize at this time until Laban tells him that God's intervening and God is meeting with Laban to kind of calm down and say, listen, don't you be speaking good or bad to Jacob. Don't you come down on him. And I just think of the, the many ways, I was talking this with somebody the other day, just to think about the number of ways that God has been at work in our lives or intervened in situations or spared us, and protected us from certain things that we don't even know, right? You think about how he's got his angels watching over us at times and, and little do we realize how often, I mean, I just think it's gonna be so cool, you know, to get like a, a highlight reel in heaven and to see all these times that we were like right at the, the brink of danger, if not death, and God just stepped in and intervened in ways that we didn't even realize, you know. I just think it's gonna be so cool. But here's God now intervening and he's speaking with Laban on Jacob's behalf. God's got it all under control. Now, Jacob was worried about what Laban could do, but Jacob need to have more faith in what God could do and is doing, in fact. Now, Laban is, of course, trying to, you know, play the good guy here, right? He comes to Jacob, and he's kind of like, he knows, okay, I can't come down on him, but now he's trying to play the good guy. Like, Jacob, why didn't you just let me know? I would have thrown you a great party, man. There would have been dancing and joy and music, man. I would have had a great old time. I would have sent you off with a nice big party, and I just wanted to kiss my family goodbye. He's trying to play this up. Yeah, right, you know. I mean, you don't blame Jacob for being a little skeptical over a, a fellow schemer here. But Laban, though he would love to do harm, he knows that he can't. So the thing he says that he's really after is he's out to figure out, you know, who stole his gods. Why'd you take my gods? Which is a very ironic thing and a sad testimony, isn't it? What good can gods do if they can be stolen, Right? Who took my gods? What am I going to do now? It's like you're just going, come on already, right? But look at verse 31. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tent, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now, Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of woman is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. Now, Jacob, interestingly, not knowing that Rachel had taken them, kind of presumptuously, you know, said, Laban, whoever took these, let them not live any longer. Let them die. Scary thing to, you know, speak things out without really knowing the whole picture and the whole truth. And 
Interestingly, Rachel, the one he loved, would be the first one in the family to die. I'm not saying that that's the direct correlation with what Jacob said here, but it's always better to remain silent than to say something you will later regret. Well, we're not sure here if, if Rachel now, who kind of father comes to attend, and she, you know, gives the excuse that she's menstruating right now and that she can't get up. Of course, that would be something that Laban would say, yep, nope, okay, I'm out. I'm not going to stick around for that. He doesn't check. He's not allowed to check. We don't know if she's pretending over those matters or just using that as an excuse and to kind of uh, move him on. Perhaps, now the question is, why did she take the idols? Is it something that she thinks is of value, that this is important for her, whether this is something that, and in this day, idols were used to, again, help promote, you know, uh, fertility offspring, to bring direction and guidance on things. Of course, we know that none of these things work anyways, but this is the belief behind them. Perhaps she took them to prevent Laban from consulting them for direction where Jacob would be. We don't know if she took them for herself or took them just to prevent her father from using them. We don't know exactly the motive behind it, but she took them. And then we see here in verse 36 that Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I've been with you, your ewes, your female goats, have not miscarried their young, and I've not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night." There I was in the day that drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I've been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So here's Jacob now. He's like, all right, I'm done. I've had it with you. I'm going to let it all out now, right? And he just, he just lays in to Laban. He just tears a strip off of him. The word angry here means to become hot or to burn or to ignite. And this is truly just a fire that's been ignited in Jacob. And it's a rage now. But how we need to temper this kind of anger and emotions. Because though we may feel justified at times in our anger, we often don't know the whole story. See, as much as Laban or Jacob may have felt right coming down on Laban, this time Laban was right. Because he comes with that real single question, who stole my idols? Jacob's thinking, no, nah, you're in the wrong, Laban. Nobody's got your idols. Look it. Put it out here. What, do you, what have you found? There's nothing here. Yet, Jacob failed to realize that his wife Rachel took the idols and Laban was right. Jacob didn't know it. And that's a problem when we begin to boil over in anger. We crack. We often end up wearing egg on our face. Why? Because we don't always have the facts straight. 
See, Jacob now allows 20 years of frustration that he's been just kind of has bottled up in him. It just comes bubbling over in frustration. He just spews out on, on Laban now. All these things that he's had to endure through Laban, all these things that he's had to put up with. I'm sure he felt justified in bringing this all up, right? But it was unwarranted at this time because Laban was telling the truth regarding the idols. And it's a warning for us to make sure you know the whole story before you begin to unload on someone. In fact, it's just better to, again, hold back from those things. Better just walk in love. Colossians 3, verse 12 to 14, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Notice it's bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. How easy it is to bottle things up and to store up all this kind of anger towards people that might have hurt us. But how we need to walk in forgiveness, because what forgiveness does is it just releases all that fuel, all that fire that just takes a little strike of a match to ignite as it is with Jacob here. And just have it come out, oftentimes, again, to our regret. How important it is to just put on tender mercies, to be forgiving, to put on love, and walk in that way. Now, before moving on, Jacob uses an interesting term when he talks about the God of his fathers. Because notice he, he said there... Um, In verse 42, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, but then he says, and the fear of Isaac. That's interesting. And if you've got the, uh, a new King James, that word fear is capitalized, referencing this directly to the God of Isaac. What does that mean exactly? See, when Isaac tried to bless Esau over Jacob, what happened? He saw that, that God overruled that. And Isaac ended up blessing Jacob, just as was foretold would happen. But yet Isaac, in his own desire, tried to usurp that, but he saw the sovereign hand of God that Isaac wasn't able to go over God. God was the one that had control. And that brought Isaac into a deep reverence and fear of God, knowing that he cannot mess with God. And so Jacob now is referencing the God of Isaac to the fear of Isaac because of that reverence now that deep reverence and fear of God that Isaac held. And that's something important for us to have. I'm thankful that we don't have to fear God and be afraid of him, but I pray that we have a holy reverence of a holy God, knowing that I want to honor him. I want to please him. I want to live my life in just worship and service of him, knowing that's the best way. Not, not because I, I have to, or, but because I, I desire to, because of what he's done for me, having a right fear of God keeps us out of a, a whole lot of trouble. Now, in the end, Jacob knew that God was clearly the source of his blessing and protection, as we saw there in verse 42. Because he says, unless the God of my father, God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac, had been with me. Unless God had been with me is what Jacob is saying. He knows that this is all clearly from the Lord. 
and because of the Lord. But he still needs to come to the place of recognizing God solely as his God. And not just the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. But he needs to recognize God as his God. Well, the next chapter here is going to get us there. We'll get to that in a minute. Finish up this chapter, verse 43. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters and these children are my children and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine, but what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone, set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap and they ate there on the heap. Verse 47, Laban called it, uh, Jager Sahuditha and Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid, also Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. If you afflict my daughters or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. So, this covenant that's made now between Laban and Jacob. It was to set a boundary between these two deceivers. It's essentially a non-aggression pact. It sounds all lovey-dovey, right? But in actuality, this was made because they didn't trust each other. The two names now, uh, Jager Sahuditha is Aramaic, and Galit is Hebrew, and it simply means a heap of witness. And they call this place Mizpah. Mizpah means watch post. Interestingly, the careless reading of God's word as it is represented in the King James Version, the Lord watched between me and thee when we are absent one from another, has given rise to the popular so-called Mizpah benediction that's been used on Christmas cards, inscribed inside wedding bands, and even used as a title for an organization. The Mizpah benediction was ignorantly interpreted to invoke union, fellowship, and trust. It sounds great. But this was a declaration of two men who neither trusted nor liked each other because I don't trust you out of my sight. May God watch your every move. That's what it means, actually. And sadly, some people have looked at that verse and, and they've kind of thought, oh, that sounds so sweet. May you know, God watch over us in our absence, right? And say, so let's put that on a, on a wedding band and that would just be so wonderful. If you do have that on your wedding band, it's okay. We know your heart in that. Don't, I don't mean to convict you. Have to go buy new jewelry. No, I'm not saying that at all. You know your heart, but, but the idea behind it is like these two scoundrels are like saying, I don't trust you, may God watch you, and may God get you if you do anything wrong to break this here, right? That's not the kind of language you want to be sharing with your spouse, exactly. <laughs> so, verse 51, then Laban said to Jacob, here's this heap, and here's this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. Now, as mentioned earlier, this heap became a barrier. God is kind of, you know, boxing Jacob in. Esau is coming, and there's nowhere now for Jacob to turn. I like that. But you see, it's in these times that God oftentimes shows himself and reveals himself to us. This would be the time and the place for Jacob now 
to become a changed person. Why? Because he's out of resources. He's out of opportunities for him to kind of scheme and plot and try to figure his way out. He's at a place now where he's like, I'm in trouble and I, I need help. He says, it's often a place that God wants us to be in, not to put us in trouble, but for us to be at a place where we say, God, you're my only resource. You're my only help. You're the one that I need to turn to to get me out of this. Sometimes God removes all options so you only have him. And these are times to discover the complete dependency we are to have on him. Let's look at what we see here in chapter 32. How's everybody doing? You guys doing good? You need to stretch? Stretch it out. Wake yourself up. It's been a while since we've been in a sermon at Riverside for, you know, more than 35, 40 minutes or so, whatever it is on a Sunday. It varies, doesn't it? But, um, all right. Look at verse 1, chapter 32. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now, what an incredible blessing this would be to leave what you knew of 20 years to go to a place that you weren't sure how it would go, what you'd be facing, but then be met by the angels of God. How awesome is that, right? And it was another reminder and confirmation for Jacob that God was with them just as he said he would be. Where did God say that? Chapter 31, verse what? Three, and I will be with you. So this is another confirmation for Jacob to see, and now to see very tangibly, God be with him. So Jacob called the place Mahanaim, which means double camp, because it's here that Jacob saw the reality now that he was not alone, that he had his entourage, but God also had his, this group of angels that were watching over him. That is so awesome. I love what Psalms tells us in Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and delivers them. Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And God is with us. God is watching over us. And I think we fail to realize so often, you know, just that heavenly army that surrounds us. I think it's just so awesome to think about. Verse 3 goes on to say, Then Jacob sent messengers before him, to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my, to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I dwelt with Laban and stay with him, um, stayed there until now. Verse 5, I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. Oh, and by the way, he's got 400 men with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people there that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Jacob knows that to continue on in peace and integrity, he would need to make amends with his brother Esau. And that's what Jacob is seeking to do. This was not 
a necessity based on geography, but rather morality. This isn't something that, you know, he's going to be walking into Esau's camp. Esau's out in Eden. This is a distance away. This is not something that, that Jacob is like going, oh boy. He's realizing, for me to really continue on the things of the Lord, I need to make amends with my brother Esau for the way that I've treated him. Jacob was hoping that reconciliation, he's hoping that reconciliation would ultimately come just by buying it, Right? Send some gifts, and that should fix everything. At least that's how a lot of you husbands try to do it, right? But, but then Jacob is told, Esau is on his way with a whole company of men. And at this word, Jacob, what does it say? He was greatly afraid and distressed. He's freaking out. So what does he do? He divides his people into two camps. Do you see the irony? What did he call this place? Mahanaim, which means double camp, because he saw the army of the Lord along with his entourage, but now what does Dave, uh, Jacob do? He divides his own group into two camps, thinking, well, if Esau comes and he attacks the one group, at least one will survive and get away. Oh man, that's sounding like a real man of faith here, isn't it? But that's the way Jacob is thinking. He's not acting like the man of faith that he should be at this time. You see, when we fail to walk in faith and trust the Lord, the inevitable outcome is that we're going to be afraid and distressed because we're not seeing things through the Lord's eyes. We're going to make decisions that's led by the flesh more than it is by the Spirit. And it's going to cause us to be distressed, dismayed. See, we're called to live by faith. And though at times that can be very hard, I, I get it, I understand. But the life of faith is the life that honors God and reveals that He's the one that we're depending on. That's ultimately the life that's going to lead to blessing. Now, if you find yourself lacking faith, what should you do? Well, look at what Jacob does next. I think this is a good example for us. He prays. This is where Jacob finally gets something right. Look at verse 9. Then Jacob said, Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, <clears throat> the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Notice how Jacob comes in this time of prayer before the Lord. He comes humbly. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies. And I think those are the prayers that are heard by the Lord because he wants us to come honestly and humbly showing our need for him. Showing that we have nothing in and of ourselves, that everything we need is found in the Lord and through the Lord. I think of that, that prayer that Jesus used is that story of the Pharisee going into the, into the temple and praying, Lord, I thank you that you haven't made me like, you know, one of these, uh, you know, dogs and, and such, and he put it on other people. But then the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, and he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's Jacob humbling himself before the Lord. I'm not worthy of the least of the mercies that you have shown me. 
Lord, I, I don't deserve any of this, but I'm, I'm turning to you in my need because you're the one that I ultimately need in these times. And notice, not only does Jacob come humbly, but he comes and he, he quotes scripture. He quoted God's word in his prayer twice. In verse nine, he speaks out Genesis 31, verse three. And in verse 12, he quotes from Genesis 28, verse 13 and 15, where God said, I'll make you your descendants like the sand on the seashore. See, our prayers and our faith become strengthened when we repeat God's word and God's promises. When we center that on God's word, suddenly we begin to well up in faith and we're strengthened in the confidence that what God is gonna do for us. And if we're gonna have God's word in our prayers, guess what? We have God's word in us. We know God's word and pray according to it. Now, Jacob is making some right moves, but he's still acting with a mix of faith and unbelief, or at least a mix of trusting God and still trusting in his own craftiness. Look at what he does in verse 13. So he lodged there that same night, and he took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their coats, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then he shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all of all the droves, saying, in this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he'll accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. So what does Jacob do? He gathers up 550 of his livestock and he divides them up into three groups of presents that would be brought before Esau in successive installments, right? Now this was a gift that was fit for a king. And perhaps Jacob is trying to overwhelm him with kindness and generosity and doing so in multiple ways that the first drove would come with all these gifts and Esau would be like, whose are these? And, and First group would say, oh, these are from Jacob, and these are a present for you. And Esau would look at that and go, oh, well, that's pretty good. All right. I was expecting a little bit more, but not bad, Jacob. And then he would come to the next group, and also the next group would be like, whose are these? Oh, these are from Jacob. And suddenly Esau starts to be like warming up, right, softening his heart. He's like, wow, Jacob's really going all out. Not bad. By the time he gets to the third drove, and he sees all these uh, livestock again, Jacob's thinking Esau's heart's just gonna melt and just desire reconciliation. Just be like, oh, Jacob, you're so good. You're so awesome. How could I ever refuse you, you know? And, and Jacob's thinking this is gonna be the trick now to bring Esau into a reconciling attitude. Jacob's a crafty guy. This is how he's thinking. But like I said, he's still relying on his own strategies and efforts. George Mueller a great man of faith and prayer, once was asked, what's the most important part of prayer? And he said, the 15 minutes after you say amen. Because that really indicates 
Are you going to be a person that's going to live accordingly, that's going to walk by faith in what you just said? Are you going to go out trusting God with those things that you've brought before him? Well, Jacob isn't quite doing that. He's strategizing, thinking, what do I need to do to help these things out? Well, like we said here tonight, God's not done with Jacob. I'm thankful he's not done with you and me. We have lots of flaws, lots of things that need purifying, that need removal. And here now, God is going to do this work in Jacob. Look what we read in verse 22, a very famous passage of Scripture. It says in verse 22, And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So here's Jacob, filled with anxiety. He wants to be left alone. Perhaps he's looking to have a good night's sleep before he has to finally meet his brother Esau face to face tomorrow. Not sure how it's gonna go down. At least he's hoping that he's gonna be able to show up without bags under his eyes and hair all over the place. Maybe he's looking to just get alone with God. We're not sure, but it's what we're gonna see is gonna happen literally and exactly here because we're told that a man wrestled with him until dawn. Out of nowhere, this person shows up. In the dark, perhaps, Esau's wondering, is this Esau that's broken through the camp and is finally attacking me after all these years, just trying to get his revenge? Is he wrestling the Esau? Jacob, I'm sure, isn't sure at this time who this man is. But this man was an Esau. He tells us that it's, well, look at what Hosea 12, verse 4 to 5 tells us. Speaking of this situation, Yes, Jacob struggled with the angel and he prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel and there he spoke to us. That is the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. Again, this is the angel of the Lord. This is the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ that is wrestling with Jacob. See, God is looking to conquer Jacob's flesh, his cunningness, that which caused Jacob to rely in himself more than he relied in God. And Jake, uh, God knows that this isn't going to end well for Jacob if he continues on that path. God loves Jacob and God has plans for Jacob. So God needs to work in Jacob's life here. It's interesting that it says that Jacob crossed over the ford of Jabbok. Jabbok means emptying. And this is exactly what Jacob and us so often need emptying of ourselves emptying of those things that will take the place of the lord emptying ourselves of the things that cause us to trust more in resources that we might have rather than in the lord and jacob here is left alone but he's left alone so that god can reveal himself to him and do a work in him of emptying him A.W. Pink said, that which hinders us in our growth and grace is not so much our spiritual weakness as it is confidence in our natural strength. And we need to empty ourselves of all that that we might depend on, trust and rely in of ourselves that is apart from the Lord. Jacob's gonna learn this lesson on this night. It says in verse 
25. Now, when this man, this angel of the Lord, saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, when you read this, you almost get the idea that Jacob is kind of out wrestling this angel of the Lord. And you wonder, how can that be? How can this be? And, and God is saying, let me go. But this is not God being overpowered. Let's be real. Nothing can ever overpower God. I mean, that's just obvious. But yet you read this and you go, how is, what is this implying for us? But I think this, what this is implying is that God is a gracious God who is not going to force himself upon anyone against their will. See, God's given Jacob opportunity to surrender freely. Now, because Jacob is not willing to tap out here, right? Jacob's continuing on to, to, to wrestle with the Lord. God's seeing that, okay, this guy's not going to give up. What does God do? Again, not forces himself completely against Jacob's will, but he kind of helps out Jacob a little bit. He touches his hip, puts it out of joint, puts Jacob at a bit of a, or, or revealing at least, a bit of this weakness. See, God will do everything he can to bring you to the place of surrender, submission, and ultimately to his blessing. That's God's desire for you, is to bless you. And so often, we get in the way of that by us not wanting to submit or surrender and to keep fighting for our way. And Jacob's doing just that. God says, man, Jacob, I got better things for you. Let me help you out in this here. Now, I don't know if you've ever had anything come out of its joint. I thank the Lord that I haven't. But I've been around people that, you know, have had their shoulder, you know, pop out of the socket and the pain that I see in their face has given me nightmares, let alone it happening to me. I've just, you know, pulled hamstrings when I've played sports, and that's enough for me. But this is something that Jacob, it would have brought him to a place of brokenness and weakness. It's exactly what God has for us. Jacob is not stubbornly here demanding a blessing when he cries out, you know, unless you bless me, I'm not going to let go. It's not Jacob stubbornly demanding something from the Lord. Because we're reminded in, in Hosea 12, 4, that verse that we read, that it was through tears that he wept and sought favor from the Lord. Jacob is realizing that it's only God that can bless him. And Jacob is saying, God, I got nothing in and of myself anymore. I've been empty. I've been broken. I'm at a point of submission and surrender. Lord, you need to bless me. That's exactly what God has for him. It's exactly what God has for us. So what does the Lord do? He asks him his name. Why? Because God, God knew who this was, so why would he have to ask him his name? Because the name was very much tied to a person's character and nature. And, and this was meant to confront Jacob on his own tendency. It was to bring Jacob to place a confession of what he's been trusting in. And it was this question that Jacob now 
It was with this question that Jacob now surrenders to the Lord. He admits, I'm Jacob. I've been a, a supplanter, a deceiver. I've been a schemer. That's who I am. He confesses. And you see, it's in our confession and brokenness that we can ultimately be healed. That God can begin to do that work in us. God now, in a wonderful act of grace, gives Jacob a new name. And a new name in Scripture is always symbolic of this new life or a fresh start. So Jacob goes from Jacob, deceiver, supplanter, to Israel. Love it. Israel is variously translated as ruled by God, or God ruled, or one who strives with God, or a prince of God. But God ruled. Whereas Jacob for so long has been calling the shots. Now he's going to realize, God, you're the one that needs to rule in my life. You're the one that needs to lead me. You're the one that ultimately calls the shots. The question for us is, what are we being ruled by? Is it our flesh? Is it our own resources, our own scheming and planning? Or are we being ruled by God? Have we submitted to him? Lastly, we read here, then Jacob asked in verse 29, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Jacob realized that he had wrestled against God. He calls this place Penalphor, I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. He's come out the better for it. He's got a new lease on life. He's got a new walk as well that everybody would know. And this man has been now touched by God. Interestingly, David Guzik says, when you battle with God, you only win by losing, by not giving up until you know you have lost. That's how Jacob prevailed here, by coming to a place of surrender and submission, saying, God, unless you're ruling my life, I've got nothing. I'm going to keep walking into trouble and disaster. God, you need to rule in my life if I'm going to experience any blessing at all. How about you? Have you been wrestling with God? Have you been trying to make it all on your own? It's time to give up and surrender because then you will experience his blessing in your life. All right, let's pray. Lord, we, we come before you here tonight and God, we've taken in a lot of scripture, but I pray, God, that by your spirit here tonight, you would just bring this word home to us and you would impress on every heart here and those watching online, you'd impress something upon us that we need to take with us today and we need to learn from and grow in, maybe be challenged by. God, if any of us here have been combative 
wrestling with you, trying to do things our way rather than your way, Lord, forgive us. Let's come to that place of surrender right now and recognition that we need you. We confess, God, today how much we need you. Lord, I pray, empty us of self and fill us more with you. Pour into us your spirit that would enable us and empower us to live this life that reflects you, honors you, and is used by you for your glory. So we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.